Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Well, so far, for the first time ever in the Baptist Church, we've tried not to take somebody's offering. Our pianist, our, <laughs> our pianist is crashed into the second booth. At least our announcement man was able to muscle through this evening. And now y'all got me to look forward to, and I am about as apt to mess up as anybody, so this should be exciting. But if you have your Bibles, open them up to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 14. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 14, make your way to verse 22. It will also be on the screen, but if you have your Bible and you'd like to turn there, Turn there, Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22, going through verse 33 this evening. The title of this evening's message is Walking in Christ. Walking in Christ. And as we gather together this evening, I feel it's a fitting text, it's a fitting place, it's a fitting theme that we would find ourselves in because this morning as we gather together, we were talking about hearing the voice of God. We talked about uh, heeding the voice of God, listening to the voice of God, recognizing the voice of God in our lives. Uh, we even talked about feeling the shaking that comes when we don't hear from the Word of God as His Word is revealed to us. And so tonight we're going to look at a text and, and the theme of walking with Christ. And I say that it fits together because I believe if we would all uh, look to one another in agreement and can say this, if we, if we hear the voice of God, and we heed the voice of God, then we are going to have to obey in serving God. Because God is not going to speak to us, and we are not going to heed His call, and it end with us going right back to what we were doing before we heard His voice in the first place. Because when we hear from God, then we serve God. And so we're going to be talking about the idea and the perspective of walking with Christ. Now, this story is not going to be one that you've never heard. Most of you could stand and teach a Sunday school lesson on this story right now without opening your Bible. You're going to be familiar enough with this story uh, that, that you already know the characters, you already know some of the details, you know where I'm going to be going as I go. But let's look at it from that perspective of walking with Christ. I'm going to ask you if you're able in the house this evening to please stand in honor and reverence for the reading of the Holy Word of our Holy God from Matthew chapter 14, beginning verse 22. And immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was all alone there. But the boat, now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it's I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me, come to you on the water. And so he said, Come. When Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. 
Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and called him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are Son of God. Let's pray. Father God, we, we ask that you would do what only you can do, and that is dwell among your people this evening. God, we come to you humble as we know how, asking you to open our minds, Lord, reveal to us the things that, that we need to be convicted of, and draw us nearer to you that we would hear from you and that we would walk closely with you in communion, Lord. God, we love you. We will give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all you do this evening, and it's in your precious name that we pray. As all God's children said, amen, and you may be seated. Here we find ourselves in this story. Now, this story is mentioned in the Gospels of Mark and in the Gospel of John in the six chapters, incidentally, of both of those Gospels. And it's taking place, contextually speaking, in a place where Jesus is starting to gain notoriety. He's starting to gain popularity. People are starting to recognize him in his earthly ministry. He's been going about healing. He's been going about preaching. He's been going about standing against the Pharisees. And, and as he began to do that, he was being recognized as someone who was very special. People began to recognize him as someone who was very famous. He had gained this crowd doing all of these things as he walked in such a way. And, and, and just prior to this story, he had gained such a crowd that, that we find him with 5,000 men plus the women and children that had followed him as he had originally been trying to get away and pray. Now, he was not gathering people there to, to preach to. He was not trying to draw a crowd. He was really trying to get to somewhere desolate. But when they heard of his presence in the place, they began to flock to that place and they began to gather. And, and so he begins to heal the sick as they begin to gather. He began to, to do these things. And the disciples point out, they said, hey, Jesus, it's getting late. You need to send them away. You need to, to send them to their place. If they stay, we're going to have to feed them. And Jesus said, well, don't send them away. Don't be silly. We'll just feed them. You guys know the rest of the story, don't you? Jesus feeds the multitude. Some would say, counting the women and children, there may have been some 20,000 people there. I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure how many there were. I know there were at least 5,013. There were at least 5,000 men gathered plus the disciples and Jesus. So there's at least... 5,013 there, and Jesus feeds them with five loaves and two fish and had 12 baskets left over. Now that's impressive. Whether it's 5,000 or 20,000, five loaves and two fish and having 12 baskets left over, that's truly impressive. And so that's, that's where we're at in our text. I want you to know kind of where we're at. And Jesus has just done this. He's just gathered them together. He's just fed the multitude with the fish and the loaves. And Jesus now is removing himself from the crowd. He's pulling himself away. Now, if you read John's account, you'll find that Jesus is pulling himself away because it's a calculated reason. He he, he perceives that the crowd, after seeing what he's done with the fish and the loaves, they're getting ready to begin to coronate him as an earthly king. They're getting ready to pronounce him uh, as their king. And he, he knows that his kingdom is not of this world, and he knows that it's not yet time for him to, to have that gathering and that notoriety to stand against the Pharisees because he knows the time for that 
is going to be sometime down the road. And so Jesus says that he needs to get away, and he's going to go away and pray, and that's kind of where we find ourselves. He says, disciples, I need you, I need y'all to head on out in to the water. And that's kind of the first thing that I want us to see this morning, from this evening, still morning in my head, this evening from the text, is that sometimes God sends us into the storm. Jesus says, get in the boat, head across to that, to that area over there. I'm going to go up on the mountain. I'm going to pray, and then, and then I'll meet you on the other side. And so Jesus had intended to get away earlier, but he'd shown compassion. And here he goes, getting away to pray for his disciples. And he says, y'all get in the boat and go through there. Now, God knows that he needs time to commune, uh, and he needs time, Jesus, to speak with his Father. But he also knows what his disciples are fixing to head into, right? We talked this morning uh, about the shaking uh, of God as he speaks to us. We talked this morning about how uh, God is a sovereign God. We have a God who is in control of all things, and that means that God even is in control of the weather. We see evidence of this throughout the Bible as a tempest would rise, as the fire would fall, as a storm uh, would come. All of these things would happen. God is sovereignly in control of the water, and, and he... he he sends the disciples into this boat knowing full well what they are going into. And I want you to notice something with me. It, it doesn't say Jesus told his disciples, get in the boat, go to the other side, and, and then he began to go up into the mountain to pray. And the disciples didn't say, hey, Jesus, what are you doing? Jesus, what... What you got going down? Jesus, why are you doing this to us? Which leads me to believe that it wasn't uncommon for Jesus to pull himself away and go and commune with his father for prayer. And that's probably another section for another message. It's not our main point this evening. But I want you to recognize that Jesus regularly pulled himself away from the multitude to pray. His disciples weren't thrown away. But verse 24 tells us this. The boat was in the middle of the sea. It was a long way from shore. I like to think of the middle of the sea as that point where you get out there. And if any of you have ever been on a large body of water where, where my parents' cabin is down in the land between the lakes, if you drive uh, north just a little bit in the water, you'll come to a place where everything opens up on Kentucky Lake. And it was the first time in my life that I'd ever been there. You can be in the water and you can look in every direction and not see land. It, the water gets that big. We don't really have that on Old Hickory Lake. You can always throw a rock to the other side, right? But Kentucky Lake, there, there's areas where you get in the middle and you look around and there's no land on either side. And that big open water there, the wind gets up to about 8 or 10 miles an hour and you get waves so big that they kind of come over the boat. And you can't see a boat on the other side of the waves. You look and there's a boat, the wave come, you can't see. And that's what I always think about when I look at this text. It says they, they, were, they were in the middle of the sea. They were way out there and I believe they looked around, there was no land anywhere and, and the wind was contrary. I want everybody to highlight that word contrary. I want you to highlight it, I want you to underline it, I want you to think about it. I'm just kidding, you don't really have to highlight it. I got one person fixing to really highlight it. That word contrary, that is the Greek word that describes a wife when a husband doesn't come home on time. Okay? That's what the wind was doing. All right, ha, ha, ha. See, I'd see if he's awake. I want to make sure he's with me this evening. The, the wind was contrary. All right, the wind was howling. It was not, it was not a happy place. 
They were in the middle of the sea, and everything was going wrong all around them. The storm was raging, the water and the waves was crashing in, and the disciples were all alone in the middle of that sea. Can you imagine being a fly on the wall of that boat, what the disciples were saying? Can you believe Jesus sent us out here? Can you believe that he would send us out here into this? He's not even going to, no wonder he didn't come with us. No wonder he went up, he didn't go up on the mountain to pray. He went up on the mountain because he knew the storm was coming. He sent us out, he sent us right in the middle of this mess, boys. Can you believe that Jesus would do this to us? I bet that's why he said he'd meet us on the other side. He said, I don't want to deal with that. I don't feel like getting seasick. Here we are sitting in the middle of this storm where Jesus sent us doing what Jesus said do, and he ain't even with us right now. And church, I want to ask you, how often do we sound like that ourselves? We are absolutely shocked when the storm comes when we're following Christ. We say, well, I, I, I prayed... I prayed for God's will. I prayed for God's direction. I felt so sure that I was doing what God wanted me to do. I was following his commands. I was doing what he led me to do. And now it just seems so hard. It seems so difficult. There's no way that I understood God properly. Surely it wasn't supposed to be this hard. Surely there wasn't supposed to be this many obstacles. Surely people weren't supposed to talk about me this way. Once I'm following God, they're supposed to just get on board and support me and understand. Surely I misunderstood God. No way that God would lead me here and then bring this storm on to come and leave me alone. Church, Jesus says, you have peace in me, for behold, I have overcome the world. And yet we find ourselves in the storm saying, Jesus must have left me. There's no way Jesus can overcome this. And the disciples were being obedient here, weren't they? They did exactly what Jesus commanded them to do. And the storm still came in their lives. How many times have we in our quiet time, now we're probably way too holy to ever say it out loud where somebody could hear us, but in our private time have we ever said, God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? God, I thought I was doing what you commanded me to do. Why? Why are you letting this happen to me? Why don't you fix this? God, why don't you remove me from this storm? Why don't you cause this storm to go somewhere else? When in reality where we should be is saying, God, thank you for your provision during this storm that it hasn't crushed me. God, thank you for the pruning in my life that is happening as a result of this storm that could never happen if it weren't for this storm. God, thank you for changing me through this situation. But instead, we say, God, why? Why you got to do me this way? God, it's supposed to be easy if I'm a child of the king. No, it's not. He never said it was going to be easy. He said, I will be with you always. But he didn't say that it wasn't going to be difficult. Essentially, what is happening in that storm, though, that we should be so thankful for is God is changing us from what we are into what we are to be. Let me say that again. 
in that storm, God is changing us from what we are into what we are to be. And this morning we talked about those birth pangs and we said, what, it gets hard? It gets more intense. It gets more frequent. It gets harder and harder and harder, but it's worth enduring because what happens at the end is so much sweeter than what we had before. Same things going on in that storm. Let's realize we don't live in a world that's ever accepted Christianity and made it easy. So we are going to endure storms. And we need to realize that sometimes God sends us into that storm. While we're being obedient and while we're doing exactly what God has led us to do, we still go through the storm sometimes. But bless God, when we go through that storm, our second point this evening is that we're never alone. We're never alone. Look at verse 25 through 31 with me. The disciples are in the boat. The storm is raging all around them. It says, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them. In case you're wondering what the fourth watch is, it's the darkest part of the night. This is the, 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 the worst, darkest part of the night. They are out there. They've been there all evening long. And here, when it gets as dark as it can be, Jesus comes to them walking on the sea. Now I want you to think about that just for a minute. It's the darkest time of the evening. They've endured the whole night up to this point. And I think that there's something symbolic there that it's in the time when the despair would have been its deepest, right? This is the middle of the night. This is the darkest portion. This is as bad as it's going to get. And that's when I think the disciples finally looked out. When they finally quit trying to figure it out on their own, they finally looked out, and there, skipping across the top of the water, they saw something coming their way. But they don't even realize it's Jesus yet, do they? They don't get it. When they see him walking on the sea, they were troubled, and they said, it's a ghost. Think about that. These are the guys that walked with him. They talked with him. They watched him heal people. They had seen him stand with the Pharisees. They had just seen him take, take some fishes and loaves and feed thousands of people and have lunch left over for everybody for the next day. And here he is walking across the top of the water and they see him and it's dark. And what do they say? They go, oh, it's a ghost. Really? They don't even realize that the answer to all their calamity is walking across the top of the water just right there. They can see him, but they don't recognize who he is. But then that ghost hears him cry out and he says, Be of good cheer, it's me. It's me. You don't got to shriek, you don't have to be scared. It's me. Calm down. Calm yourselves. I am right here. When Jesus speaks up, I think so that they'll recognize that there in the darkest time when they thought they were all alone, he says, you're not alone. I'm here. I never really left you. I was up there on the mountain. I was praying on your behalf. I was praying that you would be okay. I was praying for your faith. But I see now you weren't quite ready for this storm and so I'm, I'm coming here to carry you through this storm Peter being quite an excitable young man 
says, wait a second, if it's you walking on that water, I want to walk with you. And Jesus, I love what he says. He says, all right, jump out, big boy. And Peter hops out of the boat and waltzes right across that water. Think about that with me. Think about the moments that had just transpired, right? We just had 12 grown men sitting in a boat saying, Oh my gosh, it's a ghost. Jesus sent us out here to the middle of nowhere, into the storm. It's raging all around us. I don't know what we're going to do. And now we find out that the sea is haunted on top of that. And just moments later, Peter says, Jesus, if it's you, I want to walk with you. And Jesus says, come. And all of a sudden, all 11 of these bad boys, who I believe were men of men, right? They were fishermen. They were tough. They were out on the sea. And all 11 of them see their buddy jump off the edge of that boat. And they go, but he doesn't sink, does he? He just lands. I don't know if he made a splash or not. I've often wondered that. That's when my ADHD gets the better of me. I start to think about stuff like that that really doesn't matter. But Peter jumps off the edge of that boat, and what I know is that he didn't sink. And there he is, waltzing with Jesus. And then he realizes what he's doing. He starts to look around. He loses focus on Christ. And he cries out to Jesus. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever walked on water. I've never done it. But I have been in the water with children who are sinking in the water. And if you're in the water that's over your head with a child that begins to sink in the water and you go to pick them up, you begin to go down yourself, don't you? Now I want you to think about this. They're in the middle of the sea and Jesus is still standing on top of the water and Peter is clawing out to him, pick me up, pick me up. And Jesus says, get up. Why is your faith so little? Why did you doubt? You believed enough to jump out of the boat and then you got out here and you remembered that you were in a storm. Church, I believe that we find ourselves often in times where we feel like we're in the middle of a storm all by ourselves and God's not hearing our prayers, he's not listening to us, we don't see him, we don't feel him, we don't know where he is. But can I just tell you that just because you feel out of touch with God does not mean that he's not there. If you are a child of the king, then scripture tells me in Hebrews 13, 5, that he will never ever leave you nor forsake you. And if we would just look up in the storm, we might realize what's going on. We might get a glimpse of Jesus and we might just recognize that we're not alone in that storm. We're not nearly as alone as we thought we were because if we were alone, that storm would have already sunk us. If we were alone, we'd already be done. If we were alone, it'd already be over. But the fact that we're still clawing and the fact that we're still moving speaks to the fact that Jesus has not left us and he's not forsaken us. I want you to notice something in the story. Beginning in verse 25, the focus of the story shifts. 
right? Leading up to verse 25, the focus of the story is the storm and how bad the storm is and how the waves are crashing. And then beginning in verse 25, the focus of the story becomes Jesus, right? But the fact that Peter notices the storm again, that he glimpses at it, shows us that the storm never stopped. Jesus didn't just walk out on the water and the storm suddenly leave. Jesus walked across the water, the stormy water. He just walked right through it and he was out there. But suddenly he was with them and the focus began to change. And how often do our problems tend to compound because we just can't get our perspective to focus on Jesus. We just can't shift it to where we begin to look true north to Jesus and we continue to toss about in the storm and we tend to think that when Jesus finally shows up, the storm is going to just magically go away. But oftentimes in the storm is where we draw closest to Jesus. In the storm is when we finally recognize that I can still praise Him in this storm. The Casting Crowns had a song that was popular several years ago, and that was the song, I will praise you in this storm, and I will lift my hands because you are who you are no matter where I am. God, you are God in the storms, you're God in the mountains, you're God in the valleys, and just because the storm is still raging doesn't mean that you stopped being God. And it doesn't mean that you quit caring for me. In fact, perhaps it even means that you love me even more than I realized you loved me, that you haven't let this take me under. And is that not the coolest thing about serving Jesus? Is because if you realize that you serve a risen Savior that created everything... Don't you think he is above anything? Just think about that. If he created everything, as Scripture teaches us he did, right? Scripture teaches us that through him all things were created. Not one thing that was created was not created through him. And so if Scripture teaches us that he created everything, don't you think that he's above anything? Uh, what about my job situation? Got it. What about my family situation? He's got it. What about my financial situation? He's got that too. What about what? what doesn't matter. He's got it. And we're never alone, never forsakes us, never leaves us to wander on our own. And that brings us to our final point this evening. Sometimes God sends us into the storm. We are. Never alone, but God is always our refuge. Verse 32, it says they got into the boat. Jesus and Peter get back in the boat. And the wind ceased. Jesus got in the boat and the wind stopped. Now again, I tend to wonder about things that probably don't matter sometimes, but I can't help but wonder if, if Jesus didn't climb in. And have you ever been in one of those like stressful situations, right? Storms raging and Peter was just sinking, you know, I'm sure everybody was all tore up and everybody's kind of frantic 
for a minute, and I can't help but maybe Jesus, I think he, he kind of got in the boat, and everybody was still frantic, and they were like crying out to him, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And I can't help but think maybe he went, shh, 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 shh. Stop, wind. What was that you had to say? I couldn't, couldn't hear you for a minute. The wind was, was howling. Calm down. I'll, I'll get rid of that. I don't know that that's what happened, but in my feeble brain, I believe that something like that took place. I don't know that that's what happened, but I do know that Jesus set his feet in the boat, and it says that the wind stopped. The wind stopped. The storm stopped just like that. And then those who were in the boat began to worship him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Truly, you are the Son of God. If you look in the Gospel of John, you'll see why this storm was so necessary for the disciples. We find in the Gospel of John that as Jesus and his disciples arrive on the other side, the crowd begins to gather around the boats and they're hungry again. They've heard what he did with those fish and loaves on the other side. They want a little bit more of that holy bread. But instead of feeding them this time, Jesus doesn't feed them physically, but he offers them the bread of life. But they don't want to hear what he's teaching on the other side. And it says that the crowd began to turn away And then Jesus turns to his 12 disciples and he says, will you go also? And they respond in unison, no. You are the Christ. You have the words of eternal life. You see, the disciples had been in the storm and they had recognized that God was their only refuge. They had recognized that they could put all their chips in the Jesus pot because he had already seen them through this thing. There was nothing else that was going to happen that was going to take Jesus by surprise. And how sweet is that moment, church, when we realize that God is our refuge in our trouble. How awesome is the fellowship with Christ when we learn to depend on him for all of the storms in our life. We have an ever-present Savior in our lives capable of calming all of the storms. And seeing us through them. We just have to walk with him. We just have to go with him. Now I want to point out one more thing. And this is not a thought original to me. I actually had someone point it out to me. When I was in high school. And it stuck with me ever since then. I actually think I shared it with some of you before. When I preached Mark's account of the same story. But. In verse 29, something happens that is amazing. Jesus says, come. Peter's just said, Lord, if it's you, command me come to you on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Peter jumped from the boat. And what did he do? Somebody help me. Thank you. What was that, Danny? He walked on the water. Anybody in here ever walk on water? Do you know that in all of his life, no matter what else happened, nobody could take away that for a moment Peter had walked on water. 
no matter what else happened to him and all of the days that he lived and all of the breaths that he'd take and all of the prison sentences that he faced and all of the messages that he preached, I can't help but think that in his dying breath, as, as, as history would tell it, I don't know it for a fact, but history tells us that Peter died hanging upside down on a cross. He requested to hang upside down. He said, I'm not worthy to hang the same way the Savior hung. Hang me upside down. And again, I don't know that to be true, but church history would teach us that. And I believe that on that cross, hanging upside down in Peter's dying moments, he thought back to a time and he said, man, one time I walked on water. And that was pretty good. Do you know how many people had an opportunity that evening to walk on water? Twelve, I'll help you. Twelve people that evening had an opportunity to walk on the water. There were 11 people that stayed in the boat. 11 people stayed in the boat and watched Peter do something spectacular and chose to stay in the boat. Church, I want to challenge you in your life. There's something that you're looking at where the storm is tossing and you're not quite sure if you can jump out. I want to challenge you to jump out of the boat. I want to challenge you to take a chance and stand on faith and trust in your Christ and do something spectacular that he's calling you to do. Quit making excuses about why you can't. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I've not been here long enough. I've been here too long. I'm too old. I'm too young. I don't see well enough. I see too good. And just say, I can't, but Jesus can. Whatever it is, take that chance. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you this evening, Lord, just thankful for another opportunity to be here in your house, Lord. And God, as we look to this simple story, Lord, this story that's been taught and looked at numerous times with many different angles, God, we look at it this evening. God, we ask you to speak to us and command us what it is you would have us to do, Lord. Lord, you have a call, you have a purpose for everybody here to serve you in some capacity, Lord. God, give us the courage. Give us the courage to jump out on faith and walk with you, Lord. God, we'll give you the glory. We'll give you the praise and we'll give you the honor for all that you do. For it's in your precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Please stand. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.